This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Blank Podcast, the podcast where we talk to well-known guests about their lives, their careers and navigating those difficult moments along the way. I'm Giles Perry Phillips and with me in his den of rainbows is Jim Daly. Den of rainbows. I'll take that. I guess this week didn't actually mention the rainbows, which is the first time that's happened in a while. So I don't know if you just thought I just have loads of rainbows in my room, but I'm happy to be known as someone that has rainbows in their room. So I keep coming up with you fine. I don't know about you, but I keep hearing great names for bands. Like, so Den of Rainbows would be a good, like, kind yeah. of new wave band, I reckon. <laughs> Rainbows in my room. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's the first album. De- yeah, Den of Rainbows. Rainbows in my room. Lovely. Every song Lovely. title's got a quite, rainbow in it. Plus, like sixties. I think there'd be a sort of sixties. Yeah, maybe a throwback. Kind of. Yeah, yeah, maybe like yeah, kind of. Um, just called the Rainbows. Just the rainbow, <laughs> just the rainbow. Um, how are you? I'm okay, man. How are you? The sun's out. It's we've definitely into summer now. It's actually been really warm. I mean, it's, this is mm. a very British thing to say. I mean, obviously we have American listeners. I don't know if Americans talk about the weather as much as we do in the UK. It's just because it's so indifferent and changeable. It seems to be like the go-to kind of conversation starter. Yeah, we do talk about it a lot. I don't know why that is. Are we just really bad at chat? Are we just quite boring people, <laughs> like the Brits? Yeah, well, I think we can be quite boring. Yeah, I think that's probably what it is. But mm. never mind. Hey, I'm happy to talk about it. It's it's, it's beautiful and sunny here. Yeah. Um. Hopefully, I'll get out this afternoon. Um. But who knows if I will? I got. I, I need to tell you about something that I've done on my phone and laptop this week. This is this is. I don't know if this is good chat or not. But it's quite geeky, but it's quite. I'm quite enjoying it. Um. I got a new phone. Nice. So I'm like moving it? over, moving. I got a Samsung S23. Ooh, so I'm like moving. It. Look at this. I've got like a current phone. I'm that really is that it. Oh man, very proud of it. Yeah, yeah. You, you've upped the contract there. My monthly costs have gone, gone up massively, but yeah, I feel like I use it for work. How big is it as well? Because um, like the phones seem to be getting bigger and bigger. I mean, it's smaller. Like... It's smaller. Oh, which smaller. I'm happy with. Okay, interesting. I had, I had my previous one was bigger, and I didn't. It was too big for me. This is more. I mean, like this, it, we're actually, holding our phones up, but I mean, <laughs> it's meaningless to the yeah. listeners. 
But what I did, I suddenly, I was like, like just like answering emails and stuff. And like, I suddenly thought, what? I hate typing messages. What? Surely I can like dictate stuff and it would pick it up. And oh, come on. Turns dude. out, yeah, you can. You can. I know. You can. I'm voice to, it's called voice to text. So I got a certain Google style. Uh, it was, God, I had a different name for it. Anyway, it's changed my life. It's amazing because, like, often I'm like doing, I'm holding a baby, like I'm doing other stuff. Mm. And I can just pick it up and just like dictate my WhatsApp messages, my emails. Oh my god, mm. it's changed my entire life. It's so. First, it makes me feel quite powerful, like I'm sort of like high powered business person. Um, but it's just it saves so much time. So yeah, that's that's what happened to me. That that's been my big thing this week. So you, you like just like wandering down the road, going yeah, yeah, sell, 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 bye, 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 <laughs> bye, bye, bye. Cancel by nine o'clock. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> tell sorry, Linda, I'm, I'm tell Linda, I'm going to the golf course. <laughs> oh, I want, I do want to, I do want to learn golf. That's a conversation for a different day. Um, but anyway, that's what I've done this week. What have you done this week? Any anything? Well, no, just about? going back on that. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely switched to doing more voice notes on on WhatsApp and stuff. I mean. Maybe it's just complete laziness. Uh, but yeah, don't text as much. More voice notes. Although not everyone's up for the voice notes. There's been a few times where I've sent a voice note to someone and I've just got a text back and I'm thinking, okay, they're not down with the voice notes. Um, some people just aren't. But then there are others who just, you know, just voice note all the time. And it, I think it does save time. Also, I don't know about you, but you, you get more nuance, don't you? Like Because sometimes with an email, like written text... You can't always convey your feelings or your emotions and people take things the wrong way and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think it is the way forward, maybe just to verbalize things in an audio thing, just like this podcast. The only thing I find when I'm doing voice notes is I end up talking for much longer. Yeah, well, that, yeah, yeah. I mean, I do that like, you know, people get normally. like 10, 15 minute voice notes, like a, like a basically like a TED because talk. Just, but, <laughs> but that's what happens in conversation. Whereas I yeah. think when you're writing it down, you're a bit more succinct. But it is nice. That, yeah, it's nice. It's funny we're talking about voices. That's yes. Well, it always happens, doesn't that. it? It always happens. Yeah, because this week's guest is the is a master of voices. Oh, probably one of the greatest impressionists, impersonators that we've seen in the UK. It's the amazing John Coleshaw. It is. And may I say, what a nice guy. Yeah, wonderful company. Um was very like open to to doing a lot of the voices and obviously we talked about how that is actually you know quite a part of his um his makeup as a person the way he you know conducts yeah. himself in conversation and stuff he likes he just dived into you know um, voices and uses voices as a way of expressing himself and uh, yeah just such a delight and so many great voices I mean like when he started doing Chris Eubank I mean it felt like Chris was in the room and I did say at one point maybe we should have just got Thing is, we don't do video content for this podcast. We could have just got John uh, to come in every week and do various different high-profile guests, yeah. um, and it probably would have been like no one would have known any any different. Oh, uh, so this? I mean, this episode hasn't just got one guest; it's got about a dozen. Yeah, this, this is the first episode where we got. I mean, he's just he's just such a lovely, joyous person, and it was a very joyous episode. A really, really, he's really warm a lovely sort of silly playful silliness to his character and to his voice um and just fantastic company so i really appreciate his time and and you got a bit of everything you got you got lots of silliness in this episode but also he talks about you know you asked a really lovely question towards the end about where's the real john you know where's the real john's voice and 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 he really opens up about that so yeah it was a great episode this one but i knew it would be yeah but yeah it really delivered 
Yeah, absolutely did. Absolutely did. So, yeah, thank you, John, for coming on. Um, I guess we should probably just crack on, really, because people don't yeah. want to hear us waffling on about your new phone and like, <laughs> texting. It is good, though. It is good. Anyway, no, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll go off and uh, play with my new, uh, my new phone. But in the meantime, here is the one and only John Coleshaw on the Blank Podcast. How are you? Very well, very well. Lovely to speak to you. And th- thank you for all of those lovely, kind things that you say on, on the Twitter every Friday. Oh, I feel well, very humbled. Oh, no. It don't go unnoticed, and it's very appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad. No, it's lovely to uh, connect with people like yourself, you know, and uh, the, the, the better sides of Twitter. Sometimes, you know, obviously it gets a bad name, but there are some positives. Yes, exactly. Usually you imagine that if Twitter was to have a facial expression, you know, it would be something like this. It would sound like that, you know. People don't, like, you'd be just talking that way. Yeah, like yeah. That. Uh, I think I think you'll find. I think you'll find. It's very much that vibe. Look, bruh. You know, all I was saying was, bruh. You know, <laughs> <what helps>. Exactly. <laughs> That'd be exactly. a good sketch, wouldn't it? I was about uh, to say that's a sketch. That's a sketch. There you go. It's you can have, sketch. You can have that fun from us. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> We did. We evolved that quite nicely, I thought. Yeah. Yes, I can feel <laughs> something special going. Some special, something special is happening here. Okay, uh, I'm I'm pressing. Got it. Got so it. I've yeah, got... yeah. I know. I I saw that because I'm I don't I very rarely go on other people's podcasts. I have so I'm not often asked. And then I had one last week, and it and it came up with the got it thing, and I was like, oh, that's a bit. That seems like a bit uncouth. Like I got yeah, got it. Got it, mate. Yeah. Language has become very in, informal, yeah. which is fine in you know, normal day-to-day conversations. But if one is broadcasting, I think one should make yes. the effort. You know, these newsreaders who don't pronounce the letter G, it ain't good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or it. <laughs> <laughs> Got to make an effort when one is broadcasting or speaking in a formal manner, you see. <laughs> my, uh, my daughter has started dropping her H's, dropping her T's and her H's. And mm. my wife is a trained actor who likes to try and talking rp as much as possible and so it's it's very clear where it's come from it's come from this guy so i'm already i'm already in trouble <laughs> my daughter's only three and i've ruined her life already i, I, I can hear your h's and your t's perfectly fine <laughs> thank you <laughs> i'm trying really hard this time <laughs> well, he's, he's broadcasting this is why um exactly yeah. <laughs> but john so obviously like we often in this podcast we start at the beginning and you're from you're from lancashire Yes, is that the right way to say Lancashire? Yeah, Lancashire. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's the way. Mm. Yeah. Uh, What was what was growing up in Lancashire like? Was I mean, often we talk about school to start with because it always seems to be like something that we can all reminisce about. But I mean, were you were you were you typical impersonating that you know lots of people say when they're impersonation that they took off the teachers and things like that and your school friends? Did you do that kind of stuff? Oh, I did that all the time. Mm. All the time. And growing up in Lancashire in the 1970s was a very lovely scene in which to have your childhood, I think. I feel very lucky in that respect. I'm quite sure that everything had a bronze tint in the 70s. Everything <laughs> was sort of a tawny golden shade. Uh, it was the golden hour permanently. Um, but it was. It was It was very, very lovely. And I did used to take off the teachers a great deal. Um, Elvis I used to impersonate. 
my brother Jim's a big Elvis fan and had stacks of his albums. And so Elvis often played at home. And I used to be able to do a, a, an Elvis impression that I was very proud of when I was about um, eight, nine and ten. But I had a brace fitted. And, you know, for a while, you know, that makes you talk in this yeah. manner. Beat all beached. Um, and I, I the ability to do it lapsed. Uh, so I'm, I must relearn it. It might be a nice one to relearn, see if I can recapture it somehow. So were you singing as Elvis or were you doing like a just the, the sort of, you know, like the one form? Yeah, know, I could, I could like do, the kind of the voice. Things. Okay. Because singing, obviously I, I, singing impersonations is quite a different thing. Hmm. Yeah, yes. I remember once at uh, St. Anne's Junior School and uh, at the end of term, there was a competition in the school hall where those who wish to, uh, actually, they wouldn't have spoken like that. You know, those of you who would like to prepare a performance or a song of some kind, you're more than welcome. And, uh, you know, some of the kids would, you know, would sing all things bright and beautiful. <laughs> and, you know, the night, the, those lovely hymns. And I, I, I thought it might be rather nice to sing um, That's All Right Mama by Elvis, uh, which I did. And, and the, my, my fellow pupils, you know, the, the, the kids loved all that. And I became a sort of a, you know, um, almost like a folk hero amongst the uh, amongst my, my friends and the rest of the, the class. But the teachers rather um, frowned upon this, I think, and uh, thought it a bit raucous when I was marked last. Uh, oh, you know, no, uh, really? As I was sort of chastised for it, which is ridiculous, isn't it? It is ridiculous. But I always liked to be a little bit benevolently rebellious, you know. That so was one way. Were the t when you were do when you were taking off the teachers, were you doing that in the playground, or were you doing it in class? And what was the teachers' reactions like? Were they? I'm guessing probably not positive. There was one reaction uh, later. Once I got to high school, this would have been in about 1979 or 1980, and I was tw 11 or 12 at the time. And um, we had the history class, and the the, the history teacher had a wonderfully distinctive tone of voice, you know, um, and it was irresistible to copy. And once after a wet break, you know, remember wet break when you couldn't go out? Yeah. And you yeah. were just at a classroom with condensation and grumpy prefects. Um, and double history after this. Well, I took upon myself. I've got to try and raise morale here. I will do this by uh, impersonating the history teacher. So there I was at the board talking about Hannibal and Xerxes' fleet and uh, Boudicca. It's pronounced Boudicca, not Boudicca, as some people like to say. <laughs> and the class is laughing along, and this is geeing me along. Um, and I'm so in my stride that I failed to notice at one point that the class had stopped laughing. And then some sort of tractor beam of, uh, of instinct makes me look to the the door of room 11 the history room uh <laughs> that room is etched in my mind and there was dear mr platford standing in the in the um in the doorway and right you remain after class <laughs> detention and i thought i was in dreadful trouble um caught red-handed uh ridiculing the teacher but um, once all the class had gone, his first words was, do I really speak that way? <laughs> <laughs> My wife does say I can sound strangely, and I've always dismissed it. Anyway, I'll have to believe it now, won't I? <laughs> I go home and don't tell anyone I sent you. 
And years later, years, years later, I went to make a presentation at this school and he was there. Oh, wow. And it was lovely to say hello. And he said, well, at least I taught you something, eh? <laughs> <laughs> that was very sweet. That's awesome. Yeah, so do you think, like, um, even in those early days of doing that, did you feel like maybe this was something that you might end up doing, like performing? I mean, were you into drama and stuff like that as well? Like yeah. Yes, I, I always enjoyed those lessons where you could read something out, where you had to sort of perform something, make some kind of presentation. I found that I was I had a bit of an affinity for that. At this stage, wasn't dreaming about anything that could become a career. It was just simply a bit of fun. It was a bit of a, a laugh. I used to love impersonating local characters around the dinner table, and it made my mum and dad and sister and brother and made people smile. Um you know, Charlie James, the decorator, uh, you know, he had this great Lancashire accent, like that, you know, talking quite brisk. He sounded a bit like, um, you know, if you took, uh, you know, like a Fred Dibner, oh, that's great, like, <laughs> I've been born in Victorian times and speeded him up a little bit, as if he was playing on 1.5 speed, it's like with <laughs> audiobooks. That was what Charlie James sounded like. Um, and I used to love the, just local characters. And when I would when I would sort of copy their voices, it just made everybody smile. It made for a happy atmosphere. And it was just a bit of fun. Loved watching Mike Yarwood on a Saturday night. Um, And it was just a bit of fun. Uh, And as time went on, uh, I was always one of those who didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew what I didn't want to do. And it just gradually, it just tunes in and click. There's just that moment when you know. I was probably on about 15 or 16 when I finally did think, well, I've got to follow this line, really. Mm. This seems to be the most plausible thing. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. And I guess, I guess when you're younger and you're doing it, you're getting that validation and adulation from older 
people of more authoritative figures that you know you're making them laugh you're doing this thing you're starting to get that warm feeling of making people happy and and that is quite addictive isn't it especially at a young age yes i think so it it shows you you're doing something right it shows you're on the right track it's sort of uh, it acts like a signpost to say right this this seems to work follow that and there is a great collective uh, joy about um trying to make people laugh as much as you can there is something very rewarding about that for for all concerned you know so yes it's something that's very easy to follow it's an instinct that you're drawn along yeah i have a confession at this point that um i was often wheeled out at dinner parties because as uh, sort of six or seven years old doing impersonations of i only had like two i think i could do one of them was um jimmy jimmy cricket you remember the comedian <laughs> Yes, yeah, yeah come yeah. here, come here. Yeah, come here, yeah, yeah. Come here, come here. Um, and then um, the other one was uh, John McEnroe. And I think it was only because I used to say, you cannot be serious. But I think being an eight-year-old or seven-year-old child, it was hilarious, um, like hearing this kid doing this, like, outrage stuff. But, yeah, but I always loved watching, like you said, like things like Mike Yarwood was always – and then you used to get – you know, you would get um, stand-up comedy shows on ITV and stuff where they'd always have an impersonator – and uh, I always loved that section of it because it's just the the idea of the the, the winkest sits around it and like learning voices and stuff. I always found really fascinating. Yes, just to, trying to um, get that sound in your subconscious, whereby you know it sufficiently that you can recreate it somehow, and then knowing the bits, the aspects of it which are funny that you can exaggerate, yeah. like a caricaturist would. And those other funny little bits that um, people don't realise that they've noticed. And you, you get a, an element of surprise laughter. Oh, yes, they do do that. They do. Mm. And it's this little cocktail of um, exaggeration and elements of surprise. Um, and also reminding people about what, what's endearing about certain characters. Mm. Um, all of those things mix into it and make this this cake, you know. Yeah, I got two follow-up questions from that. Mm-hmm. First one is, what, what are those aspects? Like, is it like catchphrases? Is it facial tics or something? Or, 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 or you know, what makes up that cake? And secondly, this is more of a deeper question. It's it's always, I guess, it's always done from a point of love, isn't it? It's always done from a point of of admiration rather than a Mickey take, isn't it? But I guess that's quite a fine line to toe sometimes. Yes, I think it is a fine line. Depends on the characters. Mostly, there's great enjoyment in the um, because you, you're fond of many of these characters. If it's a politician who deserves a bit of a slap and some criticism, then you enjoy administering that. Mm. You either enjoy the character or you enjoy throwing the custard pie on the rotten tomatoes. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a, a feeling of, of worthiness that comes in that getting getting at the truth through ridicule is quite a powerful thing. Um, it, it depends on the characters, really, which which bits you... Uh, one of my all-time favourite characters, I think, is because uh, he's so distinctive and so full of all those wonderful traits and foibles and characteristics, uh, Eubank. Chris Eubank, because, you know, he, he speaks with a, a, great, um, a great sense of pre- precision, which yeah. amplifies his sense of philosophy, you know? <laughs> the, the, the boxer always beats the fighter, so... For those people who who bet against the boxer, that was a bad bet because the the boxer always beats the fighter. 
I just love that sort of philosophy clicking over like that. And the so um, boxing rivalries of the 1990s were uh, always fascinating to me. I always loved that there would always be great juxtapositions between it. Answering at Eubank, you know, Nigel Ben would go, listen, you know, he's so, you know, this is just arrogance, this is nonsense, you know. And you will see, you know, you will see on Saturday I've got to beat him. I've got it. You know, there's just no way. Also, um, Bruno and Tyson was a great one. You know, Tyson with that very high pitch. You know, he won't, yeah, yeah. he won't have to come looking for me. I won't have to go looking for him. Don't you wait. He can fight. He can either run and stay in the place. out. he can come and have a fight. No, I've got, I've got to be in there. You know, he's a normal man. You know, he's <laughs> to his socks. And I've got to go in there. I've got, I've got to take the title home. No. Always lovely juxtapositions. The, the high pitch and the great depth. The sense of philosophy and, you know, the one who loves the tear-up, you know. <laughs> Those rivalries are terrific. So good. Tyson, so good. Tyson's voice doesn't, I've always thought Tyson's voice doesn't match a box, but his body, it doesn't, you know, it's the last voice you'd expect to come out of that body. Yes, exactly. All the, all the energy and the power was being uh, channeled everywhere else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> voice. <laughs> any, uh, any, any sort of like uh, bluster or power that was in the voice was channeled elsewhere. Yeah. Yes, intriguing, intriguing characters. The '90s boxers was always was always a favourite area. I suppose because I was because I was starting out at that time, uh, you know, 1990, what 89, whatever. Th- those were the characters around at the time. So you always have an a, an affinity for those that you first began looking at. Yeah, and you did hospital radio, did you? That was quite an early part of your career doing that. And were yes, you starting to experiment with some of these things then when you were presenting and? Oh, yes, it was very useful. Mm. It was very, very useful. Uh, a mate of mine, Pete Burgess, who I've not seen for years. I'm, I must uh, see what he's up to. Uh, but he was a pal of mine. And let's see, 1986, I, I think I've just turned 18. And uh, Radio Ormskirk General was um, a wonderful grey prefab plastic box just at the side of the hospital. And uh, it was connected to the hospital little bit with a, a, a line a washing line and the signal was transmitted across that to the main <laughs> hospital <laughs> and it used to have pigeons and starlings resting on it and in our imagination whenever we did play level 42 and it was going through it would make the pigeons dance a bit you know <laughs> um but yeah throwing a few characters into the show was a, a handy little gimmick handy mm. little party trick to have bob geldof reading some of the requests out or whoever it might have been now, I hope I didn't. I hope I didn't startle the patients too much. Thank you for getting your request in. Let's have more of these. If we don't, that would be a disgrace. And I guess also this hospital thinking they've got all these amazing celebrities to come and uh, <laughs> like do little voiceovers and stuff, like actually talk to the patients. <laughs> yes, I think I would. I would. I would uh, populate the show with a, a cast of several. Yeah, you know, like that. And so it's always a great way of marking the era. By the characters you impersonate, 1986, you know Bob Geldof, Ronald Reagan. Um, it really does define a period of time. The, the the characters of that period that you go for. What? What? Why? Because I was just thinking about like, imagine they had got those people in to do voiceovers. Mm-hmm. I think the reaction from the patients would be, "Oh wow!" But when they know it's someone doing an impression, they're like, "Ha, huh, that's a good one." What? Why is it that the impression is funnier than the actual? person i think it's a little bit it because it's uh subversively mischievous yeah in a benevolent way 
uh, and you're sort of all in it together. You doing it and the person yeah. listening to it, you're kind of in that together. And um, yes, I, I think it's just a bit of benevolent cheek. <laughs> there's the imp impudence. There's a sense of impudence about it um, that makes it so. Yeah, uh, shared shared cheek. Shared yes, cheek is what makes the world go around. Shared impudence. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Are there, are there any are there any that you, you, you it's, we've been chatting to you for 20 minutes now and you have such a warm fun character coming over and I can tell you really enjoy doing these characteristics and you you really embody them and you have fun are there any you don't like are there any you don't like doing or has there ever been a point where you've got sort of bored of doing them or frustrated or are you just generally quite an upbeat sort of happy person that takes that into work Yes, I, I, I try to do that. I think we should do that wherever we can, you know. Um, I think the, the, the only characters you get a bit tired of, I mean, David Cameron had a certain amount of blandness, um, just very anodyne, very waxy. You they were some of his better qualities as well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, these were the things he was leading with. Yeah. <laughs> setting the stall out with those first yeah. um but yeah just a bit just a bit forgettable really. yeah you seem to pass through politics like a dose of salts um <laughs> so you'd, it, one of those characters where you'd do it if you had to yeah uh, i've always been very admiring of duncan wisby who um who, who did him latterly on dead ringers and he found this extra little trait which made it really funny. You know, the, the sort of, you know, the, the, the generic posh accent was there and that kind of thing, the repeated hand gestures like this. Duncan gave him a little, yeah, a sort of, a sort of a slither, an extra little slither, just heightening up the insincerity, heightening up that sense of entitlement, heightening up that sense of not having thought anything through and nipping off of the first available opportunity. Something like that. He just, it was indiscernible, but he found it. And really, yeah, really made it, uh, really made it sing, resonate. So Cameron was one that I enjoyed hearing Duncan do mm. rather than doing yourself. It was nicer to play off than to do yourself. Tell us about Spitting Image, because obviously that mm. was, and I can't, I mean, I used to watch it every Sunday night, 10 o'clock, I think it used to be on ITV. And it felt like at the time that all, like particularly the politics, so many different characters, very distinct characters. I don't feel like we have the, necessarily the same kind of thing now. I don't feel like we have the same kind of characters in politics. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But particularly in the 90s, there was very, very predominant characters I mean, coming off the back of the 80s um, with, with obviously Thatcher and that conservative government and then, you know, and Labour as well. One question is, do you feel that that's the case, that we don't see those many characters in politics now? But also, yeah, how did you get into doing Spit Image? Was That was clearly a fun time. And working with some other incredible voice um, voice actors and stuff, you know, people like Steve Coogan and, and yeah, he, he, yes. working with Ian Hislop and stuff. So, yeah, must have been quite an exciting time for a lot of you. Oh, it, it, was, it was a watershed moment in my career, really, a Spitting Image. It was my first job on TV. Uh, or connected with TV, uh, 1994 I joined, and I, I was 24 at the time, and really just, you know, starting out. I'd, I'd worked on radio for a while, doing voices as a, as a gimmick in the show. And there was a moment a, a few years before 
where I'd um, done an afternoon interview. I was working on Viking Radio and I'd done an interview with Lenny Henry, who was doing a show at the whole new theatre at the time. And uh, he was he was so much fun. And we, we, we had this lovely rapport and he was hilarious. And that set me off. And uh, we were just having lots and lots of fun with voices, sort of playing tennis with voices, really mucking about. And at the end of it, he said, you should send a tape to Spitting Image. They're always looking for people. And so I thought, oh, right, OK, that's interesting. So I said, thanks, Lenny, I will do, I will do. So I'd stay behind after the show and would just chop various voices together of, of that period of time, 89, 1990, 92. Um, and so I'd, I'd do Chris Eubank, Terry Christian from The Word, John Major. <laughs> yeah, I think Terry Christian started it off, really. Yeah, welcome to The Word. We've got a load of guests for you today. John Major, Chris Eubank, Billy Conley, all them. Right eclectic. <laughs> can, you, yeah, so can you ever imagine that lot on The Word? <laughs> <laughs> <What a joke. laughs> the Word was a good framing device. Yeah, to absolutely. Um, and I, 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 I sent a few tapes in, and eventually... Uh, there was a moment when Steve Coogan moved on from the show and it created a vacancy. So um, the producer, Giles Pilbrow at the time, said, OK, we'll come in for the last episode and we'll give you a chance. We'll, we'll see how you go. And as luck would have it, um, they got me in for the first of the series rather than the last. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was amazing to learn from everybody. Uh, Alistair McGowan was starting out at the time. I think he'd done one or two series by that time. John Thompson was in there being just utterly hilarious. Kate Robbins. Um, and I really learned from them. They were they were kindly souls. And I, I sort of blended in, found my place. Um, didn't create any ructions and just mucked in. And just mucked, mucked in. And did a few characters that they didn't have already. Um, and so it just all settled and it was very lucky to get in at the start of the series rather than at the end, because then, you know, they gave me a shot through the whole run of it, mm. um, which, which was amazing, really. Um, and yeah, and then that acted rather like a tractor beam. And gradually I, I moved to London, started doing more um, things on TV shows in the studios, uh, BBC and LWT and so on, would contribute to other shows most of on radio at Broadcasting House. And, um, yeah, I, then I got a London voiceover agent, all this sort of stuff, and eventually based in London in the sort of the later part of 96, 1997. Started working on The Big Breakfast, you know, just mucking about in the garden, the helping out with certain features that they were doing, which was a great fun place to, uh, to work. Back there at the old Ford Lock in the late 90s. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was how it all went. And Spitting Image was a big part of that. When you mm. can say, oh, I've done a bit with Spitting Image. Yeah, yeah. But it gave you a, it, people just took a, a bit more notice than they otherwise might have done. You know? So, yeah, it's always about programmes you work on, like a stepping stone for you to go to the, and look to the next horizon. And then you, you, you reach there and onto the next horizon again. It's a, a build like that, you know. Yeah, amazing how these little opportunities come up sometimes. And I guess it's just about having the mindset to be ready to take it and feel positive and be open-minded about what sort of yeah. comes next, I guess. Were you exactly. doing any live, live stuff at the time on stage or anything like that? Not really. I, I really did do it the other way around. Um, mm. I was a, a DJ on the radio, a presenter on local radio um, to start with. Occasionally you'd 
help out on a road show and play Rick Astley and you know Mel and Kim and give away T-shirts and mugs, that kind of thing. A bit like the Radio One road show, but in a car park in Chorley, uh, <laughs> <laughs> at the opening of a washing machine shop, yeah. something like that. Um, but I, I did used to do little, little three-minute acts. Um, at Viking Radio, one of the guys who wrote the adverts, a chap called Paul Sather, had a great dry wit, and he wrote the adverts. He could, he was also pretty good with some gags. So he helped me write some gags for Billy Connolly and Patrick Moore and so on. And I did um, a routine just to see if I could do it um, at the Salt End Labour Club in Hull. And uh, there was this chap who was said, right, what we'll do, okay, I'll introduce you. You take my mark off me. And then you do your three minutes. Three minutes, okay, fine, fine. Lovely Hull accent. Yeah. And there he was. And then when he went on the stage, you know, the Hull accent and all that persona just vanished. And instantly he sort of became Huey Green. We've got a great new act for you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> He's come all the way from Radio Viking. Give him a big a round of applause and a great welcome, uh, Mr. Don Coldstream. <laughs> <laughs> It was such a funny world, you know, that th those, you know, those working clubs of that era. Um, I was halfway through the act and this chap bounced back onto the stage, yanks the microphone out of my hand. And I'm thinking I was getting a few laughs. It, I didn't think it was going that badly. And he says, uh, sorry to interrupt, Dan, just to let you know at half time, the onion sandwiches will be served on that trestle <laughs> table rather than at the main kitchen door. Thank you so much. Just to avoid confusion. Back to you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the way it was done, you know, rough and ready and true. That's incredible. He heckled by the lunch. That's exactly. Yes, not many can say that. You know. <laughs> Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. I've got I've got a quick question just about accents because I was just thinking mm. that what your I mean your you know your 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 the, the aficionado on accents what is the best accent in the UK? Oh wow, the best accent in the UK. Because I have an opinion on this, but I've yeah oh, okay. Maybe we should hear that first. Yeah. Okay. And you can tell me if I'm right. I'm probably wrong, but I, I think it's Geordie. 
there is something up here. I mean, you know, there is something about it. There's something about the tune. I think there's something about the way it starts down there and ends up up here. Yeah. <laughs> you find that so many of the accents have the peaks and troughs. You know, Liverpool's got that great open sound like that. And um, so many of them have that kind of thing. Lancashire sort of goes like that. You know, it curls up like wrought iron fashion. You know, it sort of goes up like, I mean, it is it. But as Yorkshire goes to the way, Yorkshire, yeah, that's as maybe. You know, Lancashire's in a tizzy, Yorkshire's leaning on bar. There's two types of people, <laughs> right? <laughs> two types of people. Those who are from Yorkshire and them who wish they were. <laughs> As they say. Geordie yeah, is that there's a lot of music mm. in the Geordie accent. There's a lot of, if you were to look at it on an oscilloscope, it would be dancing all over the place like that, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yes, um, I have a affection for that because my nan was from Durham so but slightly uh, softer slightly softer kind of Georgie accent but yeah why I you know why Apet and like just the some of the language it just sings to me a little bit just because I it reminds yes me really and, and some of the words you the Geordie accent will really give it gives the money's worth to to words profiteroles yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> no syllable is wasted absolutely i mean are I you... the... sorry go sorry, no, go, on. no go, on, go on john i was just gonna say the welsh accent is another one where you know mm. every syllable you get your money's worth you know every syllable is maintained and celebrated no part of it is thrown <laughs> away which I, I rather love that too yeah. I mean, they do. Their, their town's names do have four hundred more syllables than the rest of us, anyway. Oh, so yeah. they've got loads to play with. Exactly. <laughs> yes. But I was going to say, are you, are you a student of this, John? I mean, like, is this something that you, you know, obviously you've over the course of many years, you've gained a whole caliber of voices and sounds and everything. But are you still kind of enthusiastic about learning and developing? like sounds and voices and all that kind of stuff? Oh, yes, I, th I think so. Uh, yeah, you, you, you never stop that. There's always new characters and new people coming through, which will bring, they'll show different aspects of an accent you may already know well. Um, language evolves and, and so on. At, at the moment, there's um, social media and the shortcuts within that and the speaking in emojis and this sort of thing is having an effect on language. That's something you can play with and, and, and experiment with. So it's, it's always shifting. If you look at a, um, you know, a time-lapse picture of the, say for instance, the atmosphere of the sun and the, the, the photosphere is always swirling and moving like that. And there's always motion, there's always, and I, I think accents and the influences that make them evolve um, can be visualized in a similar way. It's always a living, breathing entity, the evolution of accents over time, uh, which keeps it perpetually fascinating. Mm. That's, that's a lovely way to explain it. Um, are you quite a visual person? I've noticed already you sort of talk, you, you talked about sort of, you know, the accents being looking like visual things. Are you quite sort of visual in the way you kind of do things and think? Yes, I, I think so. It's, it's quite a nice way to, uh, to convey meaning and make things come alive. Um, if you can describe things in that visual way. Another way that um, I'll describe the Lancashire accent, you know, when you get to Rottenstall and Rossendale all around there, you know, Burnley, Blackburn, where it goes really like that. 
it's like a cheese sandwich that's been left in sun for a while and the <laughs> crust have curled up like that, you know, curled up. So, yes, it's it's a nice way to play with um, theatre of the mind to get, to apply visual comparisons to, uh, to words, yes. There's a bumblebee in here. I wonder if you can hear it. Is the buzz coming through? I, no. I, we can't actually. No, it's okay. It sort of reminds me, you know, Jimmy Carrigan or you know, football slinger. It's all like that. <laughs> 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 and then, Thank you for your contribution. All right, I'll open the door in a minute. If you can go and pollinate. All right. There was a uh, there's a there was a meme going around the internet of someone's like dishwasher door that made a sound, but it sounded like Stephen Gerrard in a press conference. And it was kind of like, uh, just on, like exactly. so, Stephen, what about to say? And then it went. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor guy! But it's very spot on. Yeah, that certainly is. There's a wonderful fellow called Darren Farley who does a gorgeous uh, mm. Stephen Gerrard. Oh, it's terrific. <laughs> Yeah, he's very good. There has been, there's been. It feels like recently there's been an explosion of, of certainly on like social media platforms and short form of more impressionist. I mean, I follow a lot of football stuff, so certainly around football. Um, but it seems to become a, a a good medium for people to share those really quick topical yeah. impressions to, to react to stuff. Yeah, it, it's, it's it's fantastic. It just gives you that instant of uh, opportunity to just have the idea, apply it to the voice, do it simply, and it's there. It's a great way of catching the the topicality and just showing the um, there's a great immediacy that comes with the social media um, and particularly as a platform for impressions. I love uh, Frank Caliendo, um, the American impressionist who's so brilliant. I loved his George W. Bush, which was so cartoony, you know, the way that he would move around and uh, <laughs> um made it almost like a hybrid of Bugs Bunny at, at, at speed. It, it's so brilliant. Um, he does this thing where every character just says the same word and the difference that comes yeah. from that, you know, the difference. Um, you know, you could have, if the word was biological, Tom Baker would say that a certain way. Brian Cox, biological. The, it would bring out different shades of it. You know, Mick Jagger, biological. One could go on, but yeah, it's um, yeah, the immediacy of uh, of social media, TikTok, YouTube, and all of that. It um, it, it's great for a quick hit, a quick fix. Just digging yeah. into that a little bit, John. When you're mm. in the process of creating your your version of these people, how does that kind of, I guess, start? You know, I mean, firstly. Do you specifically pick someone out and say, I'm going to do an impersonation of them? Or does it kind of naturally you start to feel yourself doing it? And then how does it work with regards to kind of practicing it and honing it and making it your own version of it, I guess? Mm -hmm. uh, lots of lots of listening. Usually um, it, we're starting a, a new series of Dead Ringers next week. So some of the early emails next week will be from Bill Dare saying, oh, has anybody got such a character or anybody got, anyone got a Steve Barkley? Anybody got? And so we're, we're given these notifications. And then in previous years, when the show started, we'd be posted cassettes with voice clips on that the um, show coordinator had put together or would be posted VHSs. 
and the clutter of tapes would be all over the place. Now, of course, you just dial them up on, on YouTube and just watch. And um, watching the same clips is a good thing. That, adds, that gives you a good sense of familiarity. You get to know a character in that sort of way. So it's a, it's a good mixture to watch the same clip, but lots and lots of different ones at the same time. You need, you need that, that blend of the familiar and the unexpected. And it's also important, once you've done a bit of the scrutinising mode, to leave it, to step away. Uh, don't overcrowd your head with it. Just let your uh, subconscious sort a few things out when you're not actively looking into it. And then you come back a, a couple of days later and there's this nice pre-cooked familiarity that's already in there. And you can put another layer on the top. And you just build it up like that until your own your own subconscious starts to feel content with it. And it starts to think, yeah, yeah, I've got this now. And then as you perform it on the show and the more sketches you do, the more mileage with a voice, then it really settles in. But like a pair of boots, mm. you know, you walk a bit gingerly at first, but then soon enough, you know, they're yours and it's, it's, your, it's your very own. And that's what's so interesting working with other impressionists because we, we, we'll never notice the exact same things about people. You know, there might be some huge traits in certain characters that we all get, but each of us will notice our own different subtleties. And I think this is always a conversation that we that we revel in. Um, I remember a few weeks ago when doing some shows of Sorry, I Haven't a Clue with, with Rory Bremner. Um, and we were driving from one venue to the next, about a three-hour drive. And oh, the joyful comparing of notes. Um, and, you know... There's, there's a there's a kindred spirit with impersonators. I think there is a kindredness, which is rather nice. Yeah, that's so really nice. I was going to ask about that actually, because you, already you've like spoken really sort of fondly of of a few others and people you like. And I know some areas of entertainment can be quite competitive, but yeah. is that is it is is sort of the impressionist circle? I guess quite supportive then of each other, because I guess someone will do something some way, you'll do it a different way, and rather than being like ah, oh, that's better than me. Is, is it more like, oh, that's a nice way? And, and, and are people kind of, I guess, yeah, supportive and together? Yes, I, I, I think so. Um, you know, there might be moments when you're starting out and uh, you, you're trying to get things established. You know, you might be a little bit more bullish then. Uh, but really, because it's all about characters and exaggeration and silliness, it never gets too, it never goes... It, it always stays within a very benevolent sense of the Queensberry rules. Um, you know, when, when Dead Ringers started out, we were conscious to be different to, um, to how Spitting Image had been. Mm -hmm. And um, we wanted to create a different tone to what Alistair McGowan and Ronnie were doing, um, which we could find, actually. You know, um, Alistair and Ronnie with the big impression this was like a fabulous, you know, almost Hello magazine um, turned into these beautifully observed and written sketches. Uh, the attitude of Dead Ringers was somewhere more, somewhere more between Private Eye and the Beano Annual, yeah. um, with, with topicality, going after a different crop of characters in a different way. We'd always try to be careful not to overlap too much. Certain things, you know, there might have been similarities, but we always had our own 
our own take on it. Mm. I think uh, Alistair and I both did Parkinson, but we do it in entirely different ways. Mm. Um, Alistair's Parkinson um, really parodied the chat show and all of its quirks. Our way of doing it was to, uh, with hidden camera sketches, to go and sit at a bus stop and just interview your fellow passengers. <laughs> you know, so long as you're bringing your own take to it, then that that's good and you can enjoy it and celebrate it together. And so long as it's a thing that you can, with jollity, compare your notes together afterwards, then, then that's good. And it's healthy. It's very healthy and nice to do it that way. It's lovely. It's, 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 like, it's like art, isn't it? It's like two artists will sit and watch the sunrise, but they'll both paint it very differently. Oh, that's a lovely description. I'm going to make a note of that. Good. <laughs> In many I'll ways, it's rather, like, um, it's rather like an artist, two artists painting a sunrise. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, you, yeah. could do it. you could have done a gym. <laughs> yes, maybe Brian Sewell. It's very much like two artists seeing the same sunrise. We'll interpret it in a very different way. Thank you for allowing me to steal that. I thought if I am going to steal it, I may as well do so immediately. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, like, with the comedy as well, like, coming up with sketches, are you, do you ever, are you doing that in a room together? Are you kind of improvising stuff together? Are you working, or is it very, you know, you're sitting in a room scripting it? Like, how does that work? Um. What I tend to do is perhaps first come up with a broad idea. Uh, wouldn't it be funny if Russell Crowe did Trumpton the movie? Or um, Jordan Peterson picking apart the logic of nursery rhymes. Oh, my goodness. Something like that. I think that would be, you know, if we, if we think about, if we think about Goldilocks and the three bears going into the house like that, there was a lot of bravery there, you know. You have to you have to have that through life. You do. You have to have it. Otherwise it's not gonna work out. <laughs> it's riffing there. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I I would come up with a you know, just a broad sensibility. And then uh, the brilliant writers would go, Oh right, okay, I see what yeah, okay, I can see something there. Let me go and write mm. that up. And then we'd read it through. Usually we get uh, these um these finished scripts. Uh, and we'll all read through them as a group. And, you know, there'll be some sketches which are the uh, the, the the dashing uh, leopards and tigers. Others are the limping antelopes. So the, um, you know, the sketches will come together like that. Some will need a bit of a trim and a cut down. But uh, the writers themselves and Bill Dare, the producer, and Lawrence Howarth, the script editor, tend to tend to see to most of that. And as we read it through, we might notice something or improvise something and we'll add to it that way. Um, so that, that's how it all f fashions together, I think. Yeah, collaborative. Uh, a collaborative collab effort. Yeah, exactly, I think that's exactly. where the best creativity comes from, I think. I'm, mm. just, I'm just wondering, uh, has there ever been anyone that you've just never been able to pin down? That you've just like, you or, or anyone particularly you've had a real struggle to just really get the essence of or maybe given up on or or still trying to i suppose it was uh, david cameron was always a bit like that um i remember uh, you know murray walker being asked to do murray walker because he was so high pitched it would sort of it would sort of be quite painful mm. to do that yeah um and I, I don't know how he kept going those commentaries for for the entirety of a full race 
but wow, so distinctive. But yes, you would use up the oxygen pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I suppose for the I suppose for the sense of oh, what is it about you? David Cameron was always the most slippery like that until Duncan decoded him. <laughs> Have you ever had anyone upset? Anyone, and I know like they're all sort of done with like politicians a bit more sort of po- yeah. punching up a little bit, but yeah, we don't care what they like think properly. Well, <laughs> even then, I think it's done some time. Well, I guess it depends on the politician, but I think there's always a sort of mutual respect, yeah. I guess. And like it's done with it's a pastiche, it's not a piss take. But, yeah. um, has anyone ever got properly pissed off? I think the, the, the only time that came along with that was um, Deborah and I were doing uh, our impression show, and we did some sketches on this morning. Um, playing, uh, I was playing Eamon Holmes, um, you know, who has that great, that sort of tune mm. to his voice. It's a quarter past eight. These are the stories you're waking up to. This is what's going on. So it is. This is what's going on. Um, and they built the This Morning sketch, which was quite expensive to do. So in those terms, you need to have, you know, a, a good return of sketches. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you're going to spend that amount of money on a set recreating this morning, we'd better have five sketches uh, to make it viable. This, you know, this is the way um, yeah. the line producer would would talk. And uh, yeah, with these, Eamon's uh, patience lasted for only for the first three. <laughs> it was uh, it was sketches of him mistaking things for food. <laughs> um, you know, uh, yes, where's the, where's, the, where's the sofa? Where's the sofa gone? Oh, you mean that cake? Oh, no, great, that was. We bit dry, so it was. Or, um, where's, where's our guest, Frankie Dottori? Oh, you mean that wee gingerbread man? You just had, just had that now. And I thought it was very surreal and very silly. Um, and it was, you know, it was. And at first, Eamon found it quite funny, but I think three sketches in, it was, oh, come on. I'm, I'm at, <laughs> enough already, enough already. So um, there was a moment there, but soon afterwards, you know, we were soon afterwards, we were laughing about it. Mm. I sort of bumped into it and said, oh, God, sorry, we didn't mean to make you feel like that. We're sorry about that. We didn't mean to make that was never our intention to make you feel that way. And um, we had a laugh about it. It became jocular. Mm. Um, so, you know, there was a time where we heard that um, Michael McIntyre was uh, feeling a bit hard done by some of the sketches that we'd done. Um, which I, I never believed was true. Mm. Um, and it, it wasn't. I, I bumped into him at a, um, a variety club, a charity show. And he said, so I believe you've been doing me. So why don't you do me with me on the stage and we'll auction it and we'll raise some money for the charity. Uh, he was straight off the bat with that, um, which I thought was immensely generous. And uh, yeah. I think somebody paid about £2,000 for the charity for us to just muck about like that. Mm. So he was clearly um, quite happy with it. So you've always got to be careful with little tales that filter back to you. Yeah. Because they're rarely true, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. John, do you um, do you ever forget your own voice? Do you ever lose your voice? 
Some, I mean, I don't know if that mm-hmm. happens with like maybe when you're in the midst of kind of creating characters and and stuff. Do you ever sort yeah. of sometimes think, oh, is that how I sound? I don't think I lose my voice or or forget it. I do sometimes forget that I'm doing others. Uh, it's a real habit to pepper the conversation and colour it in with other characters. And there's many times where I don't realise that I'm doing that. Mm. But at a time of speaking without, you know, in, in just complete relaxation, without um, going into it too deeply, yes, this is just the accent that comes out. I've, I've heard uh, Phil Cornwall uh, impersonate me like that. Like a very sort of, you know, polite woodland creature. Yes, you know, slightly hesitant and a bit like that. <laughs> It's great that you're having to recall your own voice from another impersonator. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. It's like re- re- recording. Oh, yes, that's what a- I sound like. Yes, yeah. yes exactly. Um, which, yes, those those are the bits where if I was to be exaggerated and um, by a caricaturist, that's how it sort of comes out, really. Yes, you know, a bit sort of, uh, yes. <laughs> what's Many it like being What's uh, it like being impersonated? What's it like being on the other end of it? It's quite a joy. It, it does make you laugh. You do find it slightly, oh, gosh, yes, I do. The reactions that you see from everyone that you do, you feel yourself. And that's only right. So it should. You know, we, we shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't be, there shouldn't be a let off. Uh, it, it should be quite, you know, slightly shocking and sort of, oh, gosh, you know. It should make you feel quite conscious. And it, it, it does, but it, in a nice way. Yeah. You, you have to grudgingly say, yeah, yes, Phil, you you're right. You're right. You have it. <laughs> Danny Posthill um, is, is another chap who, who does a version of me like that. And it is. You You do feel that. They say it's the greatest form of flattery. Mm. You do feel that. You do feel that. Yeah. I think, but I think that's quite, that's quite a nice, I think that's quite a nice approach to life. You know, you don't, you don't take yourself too seriously and everything, if you kind of approach life that everything towards you is done with, love and appreciation then that's a much i think a much nicer way to float through life than thinking oh why are they saying that about me oh why are they doing that you know if you take it all like oh yeah okay fair enough i think you end up having a sort of nicer in existence exactly exactly overthink and you'll make it stink is one of uh is a phrase i rather like right we're stealing that for a t-shirt that's, that's <laughs> yeah, going yeah, yeah. but yeah you can't be too conscious of things or the moment that you t- start taking anything far too seriously um you know you, sh- you should have a good professional sense with what you're doing but uh but don't take things too se- seriously don't take yourself too seriously otherwise you- you're going to just it's going to be a prickly journey through life isn't it that way mm. you know one should walk through daffodils not thistles <laughs> another Probably. good t-shirt like that down as well. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of t-shirts today yes a fashion range has been born hasn't it <laughs> Um, I was thinking. I was just thinking there, Jim. Um, we could have um, saved ourselves a lot of time and money if we'd um, well, not money because we never pay our guests, but um, if we just got John on every week to do like various different um, high caliber celebrities, that uh, we could have like, we could have had all sorts of wonderful people on. Um, do you? Yeah, we, could, we could have had. We could have had people who have passed away. We could have we exactly. Could we could have had people for yeah. We could on have the like, ether. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, just one last question, John. I know you've sort of talked. We've talked a little bit about the, um, the the impressions you find hard and the people that are difficult to get in with. What are the ones that 
or, or is there a particular one that you have you, you got to immediately and is one that you still find a lot of joy in doing oh yeah there's there's, there's tons of those tons of those patrick moore was the very first one that i did yeah yeah it's always an interest in science and the uh and the eccentric presenters of that subject i think another carl sagan for he makes the universe as inspiring as it should be the pale blue dot every person every every tyrant every young couple in love every hopeful child every doting parent lived their existence in a mode of dust suspended in a sunbeam. Okay. <laughs> Who else? Yes, Alan Bennett. He's very joyful. He sort of makes every word sound very pleasing, good for, good for the soul. Les Dawson as well, a very wonderful sense of words, very lugubrious tone, very lugubrious way of delivering things. Um, so many. Bruno, Eubank, all of those, yeah. There's quite a clutch. It's There's really, it's just, it's really nice hearing you enjoy doing those voices. And I'm taken back to the story of that teacher that you impersonated, and they said, "Oh, I don't, I don't sound like that, do I?" Because every, everyone, I think everyone hates hearing their own voice. Like, and some of us that you know, we worked in broadcasting, you get used to it. And yeah. but I think talking to you today, I've got a real appreciation to or for just voices in general, and the fact that everyone's got different voices it is it is yours it is who you are yes you can you can take elocution lessons and stuff but really you can't change it too much it is it is you um and I think and I'm sure you've seen so many characters who aren't famous down the years they've got wonderful voices <laughs> nope. and you, if you did now it wouldn't you know no one would get it because it wouldn't reference it but I think it's just nice to appreciate and you clearly have this appreciation of the voice people's different characters and and it's just it's just part of us and part of, you know we should mm. should be embraced really rather than i don't know disliked yes exactly exactly tom baker's come to mind as well that's one i should mention yes very much so i, I remember uh recording a, some big finnish doctor who stories and in tumbridge wells and just seeing tom sitting in his chair there recounting all of these tales and i think i once saw him uh, sort of speaking Hamlet's soliloquy in this very relaxed way. I think he'd been recounting the time of uh, acting with somebody and how the soliloquy was sort of a warm-up. Free or not to be, that is the question, whether it is noble or the might to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or take arms against the sea of troubles and by proposing end them. He just rattled these things off like that. Amazing. Um, with this immense character. The Doctor Who's. I like the Doctor Who's voices somehow. I think how John Pertwee has a, a tremendous resonance. I had very five very good years at Doctor Who. Um, I was very sad when I cried a great deal when we when we finished. You know. But I'm very, I'm very emotive like that. I would have. Uh, I had a good five years. Even if it had been five minutes, I would have cried too. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. It's nice to just recount these. Um, you know, these little speeches you've heard and remember that's summed the person up somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I've gone into an Alan Bennett frame of mine now. <laughs> but yeah, you're quite reflective. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, one one last thing is that do you ever, mm. do you ever get bored of doing it? Like, do you ever, like, feel, because I, I, I can imagine there's probably an expectation when people talk to you and you've been very gracious in, 
in doing lots of voices for us today and it's been it's been wonderful and very enjoyable to yeah. listen to you but mm. do you do you yeah and you know like how sometimes comedians feel like they have to be on sometimes and people say well you're not very funny in real life uh, because you're just normal people aren't you like like everybody else and you can't be you know that's your job or whatever do you ever feel like you just want to be john and not you know not not be all these other characters yeah that's that's very interesting i i think my not my normal mode in that way is to sort of continue acting a bit silly really yeah you know people say oh you, just be yourself but that mucking about and bringing in people from everywhere and Mr. Lesson, oh, and then Alan Bennett, and oh, yes, then the geography teacher, Mr. Humphreys. Yeah, that, that's quite a natural setting for me. I suppose I'm, I'm quite, I must be just very unfocused, but that for me, that is a norm. Uh, and I'm, I'm usually at my most relaxed when it tumbles out like that. It must, it must be very annoying at times. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a norm, I, I, I think. Um, and even if I was having a very, uh, you know, philosophic, deep conversation with somebody, um, there might even be moments in that where appropriate characters would pop out. Carl Sagan would probably be a, probably appear there rather than a more bombastic comedic person. You know, I've always had a habit of uh, sprinkling in characters that fit the mood into the uh, into the subject, um, very subconsciously most of the time. Well, I was going to say, yeah, does it feel like it's a way that you can express yourself in, you know, like sometimes we, we as people, we can't always express ourselves, you know, through ourselves, if that makes sense. And actually being able to do it through, you know, it might be for some people in their art, it's expressing themselves through writing or it could be a song. But for you, yeah. it's doing it through these, through these other voices and characters. Yes. Yeah, so sometimes somebody will just come to mind and, oh, yeah, that suits this moment. And it just sprinkles in quite subconsciously, creates a bit of a laugh, which I think uh, laughter is a very bonding thing, isn't it? Um, uh, I remember reading about how, uh, as humans, we are genetically programmed to laugh and, for, and to seize onto humour because it's very bonding in a group, even when we were cave dwellers and, you know, going back into prehistory. Um, laughter and humour would bond together the group it promotes teamwork mm. it, it encourages the working together and the forming of bonds laughter is a great glue uh, for all situations really even in even in very difficult very trying times if you can find the humor somewhere it'll help you put one boot in front of the other you know it's very important to us we must never lose it i think that's a thing that that's a note of caution about this era uh, losing the ability to laugh at ourselves and using offence as just a, 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 a for traction and as, and as a currency on social media mm. to gain points and likes and clicks and I think this this is a sort of a this is a strange sort of dry rot that's running through everything and we've got to be rather careful with it. Take great caution, as Obi Wan would say. Intriguing. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. And I think a really nice place to round off the episode. John, it's been an absolute joy having you on. Thank yeah. you so much. It's just been absolutely joyous. Really appreciate it. Yeah. This is the quickest it. hour and six minutes I've ever known. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
No, it has. It's been such a joy. Thank you so much, John. Really appreciate your time. And like My I say, being pleasure. being so uh, gracious and, and giving us so many wonderful little uh, moments of your talent, which is uh, very, very impressive. Yes, it was a, it was a lovely chat. I thought I thought we were just hanging out, having a brew. It didn't feel like a podcast at all. Good. That's that's what we're trying to achieve. So that's great. <laughs> John Colshaw on the blank podcast what a lovely lovely bloke what a talented guy <laughs> just oh, seems to all come so naturally those voices um and yeah as i said before really very, just a very joyous hour in his company um and you've as listeners be grateful you've not got any impressions from us well uh, i, I, I we tried know... to slip in a couple like near the beginning because i used to like i say i used to get as people heard at the beginning of the podcast i used to get dragged out for like dinner parties and stuff like oh look this our kid can do a few um stupid impressions and it was just like you cannot be serious man like i think and then um jimmy cricket who's like a really not brilliant stand-up comedian um he used to do this thing that like, he used to go come here come here i want to tell you a story come here come here um and that was like his catchphrase i guess uh but i'm always been fascinated in voices and impersonators it's always like i think it's such an amazing skill there's a brilliant video on youtube people should seek it out of peter sellers on the set of um, Doctor Strangelove, which was would have been late sixties, I think, and mm. he's doing very like various regional accents, and, and Peter Sellers, if people didn't know, like he was an amazing impersonator and voice voice artist, and there's a bit where he's doing literally boroughs of London, like different boroughs of London, and the various wow. different, and it's unbelievable. And I think like probably John's got a similar kind of level yeah. of skill with regards he was doing some of the accents, but. Well worth seeking that out if you're interested in this kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I just think it's really fantastic what he does, and uh, such an amazing skill. And I think I think we've all been at school taking like taking the piss out of our teachers and uh, and our friends. And I think like now I when I tell anecdotes or stuff, I've got like two or three voices I always put on for those kind of things. Um, one of them's Pete. There's a guy called Pete uh, who lives in Seaford, and. Um, he like he talks like this, and that that's like one of my voices. That I, like if I'm telling a story, it always ends up going into Pete. And like my wife Michelle's like, "Oh, you're doing Pete again." I'm like, "Oh, sorry, because you know you do Pete, you know." So any sort, oh, we're doing the show, it's great. Um, so I think we all do that a little bit to to a certain extent. Yeah, quite a niche one, Pete. It's quite a small audience. Yeah, Pete. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and he, and even the audience I've got that isn't that keen on it. <laughs> oh man it's been yeah it's been a very very lovely lovely episode so thank you to john for coming on really appreciate it and um yeah i loved it i loved it mm. um and that's it back next week charles as ever yeah another episode well, until then hopefully. i'll be um dictating all my messages for you via my phone and email now yeah um but I hope you have a lo- hope the weather stays nice and sunny where you are and where I am. Hope you have a good week. Likewise, I'm looking forward to coming back next week. Yeah, with another with another episode of the Black Podcast. But yeah. until then, well, crucially, don't, just remember, Jim, don't get cancelled. Mm-hmm.
Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.